0: Hi, my name is Jonathan, and this is my church. Today I'll be reading from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God.
1: Good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're here with us this weekend, whether you're here in the West Service or over in our East Service or watching online. Thanks for spending some time with us. Hey, one other thing I want to thank you for, and that is for your part in making this such a special place. You know, we as a staff work really hard during the week to try to make sure The experience of the weekend and the services and all of our programming is welcoming to those who are not yet Christians, to those who have very little church background or have been away from church for a while, to those who are not part of the congregation here but might visit. But all that we do really doesn't matter unless you are the wonderful people that you are. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, We heard from someone who visited last weekend for the first time. Uh, He was gracious to share some of his story, hadn't been in church for a long time, had grown up in church, walked away from it and came back and wasn't sure what to expect. And uh, he said some things about the service and the songs and all that. But what he overwhelmingly talked about in his writing was you. He talked about from the parking lot all the way in and all the way back, all the people that greeted him that said hello to him, that recognized that he was new, helped him find things, navigate the building. Uh, He actually said this. He said, uh, the people I met at your church are unlike any other people I've ever experienced in my life. Isn't that cool? And I want you to know, I want you to know this, that it really doesn't matter what happens on the stage if you aren't you. Most people who visit a church, by the time we get to the service, have already decided if they're going to make it back or not based on the way that you have interacted with them. So thanks for being kind. Thanks for stepping outside of your comfort zone. Thanks for loving a stranger. Thanks for making this such an awesome place. Well done. I'm really proud of you, and thanks for the teamwork in that effort. Hey, I'm really excited to continue our sermon series going through the Psalms, uh, looking at 10 Psalms over the course of the summer and learning, this is what we hope at least, learning to share our hearts with God. You know, we, we are in a culture that does not do a great job of teaching us how to articulate our feelings, how to express ourselves, how to take positive and negative things that we're feeling and share it with those around us in order that they might love us, the real us not the sanitized version or the pretend version, but how we really feel, who we really are. And we wanna learn to be those people, not just with each other, but with God. Learn to take our actual selves to God, to pour out our hearts, however we might be feeling, whatever might be going on to God, and to believe that he loves us as we actually are. We've been so excited for this series. It's gotten off to a great start. Speaking of which, thank you so much for grabbing one of these Psalms prayer books. In the last two weeks, we have given away over a thousand of these. And what's so exciting about that is it means tomorrow morning when I wake up with my coffee and I work through Psalm 6, which is what I'll be on, I'm not just spending time with God. In some ways, I'm spending time with over a thousand of you as we work together to hear God's voice to us in the Psalter. By the way, we have a few left in the atrium. At least we did at 8.30. I don't know now. But if you want one of these, you didn't get one, make your way there right after the service and grab one. But one of the things I want to remind you about is that in the beginning of the book, is this thing called the feelings wheel. Uh, It's gonna be on the screen behind me. It's a super helpful tool to learn to articulate your emotions with each other and even with God. It works very simply. You start in the middle of the circle and you work your way out. So if I were in the yellow quadrant, for example, it's actually not a quadrant, whatever that is. If I were in the yellow section, I would start with I feel happy and then I would divide happy up into a more specific word. Maybe I might say I feel content And then it would divide content into an even more specific word. So maybe I would say, I feel free. Part of learning how to really talk about our feelings is learning how to pray. Learning how to take those to God. God, here is how I feel. That's what we're spending the summer learning. Speaking of which, if you have a Bible, would you take it out and open it to Psalm 13? We're going to be talking about what it looks like to pray to God in a season of lament. And we're going to do that by looking at Psalm 13. By the way, if you have your phone or your tablet, totally okay to pull that out and pull up Psalm 13. If you're watching online, Google Psalm 13. If you're new, if you are a guest and and you don't have much of a church background, don't know your way around the Bible, in the pew in front of you here in the West service and then over in the East service in the back of the room, we have these Bibles available for you. And I preach from this Bible. And the reason for that is so that I can tell you that today's reading is on page 423, so you don't need to know how to find Psalm 13, you just need to know how to count, and you can get to Psalm 423, and I hope you'll join us as we work through it. And by the way, as we work through it today, I have three points I'm going to use as an outline to make sense of Psalm 13. Three points, and they go like this. What is lament? What causes it? And what do you do with it? Okay, what is lament? What is lament? What causes it, and what do you do with it? All right, let's start with number one, what is lament? Uh, You can tell, by the way, that Psalm 13 is not a happy psalm. It It is not a happy psalm, it is not a happy prayer, it is not a happy song. It comes at a time in the writer's life that is difficult. Things are not going well. And the reason why that's important is because I want you to understand that lament is the passionate expression of grief and sorrow. Lament is the passionate expression of grief and sorrow. Look what the writer says, Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. He says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The writer is reflecting on a difficult time of life. He's coming to God with an expression of grief, of sorrow, of loneliness, of isolation, of accusation, with questions and with anger. That is Lament. Lament is the outpouring of a heart that is experiencing grief and sorrow. Now, I want to be clear on this. Lament can take two forms. And if we're not careful with this, your personality might have you opting out of Psalm 13. Here's what I mean. One expression of lament is public. It's public. It, it is a visceral out loud, external, groaning, moaning, uh, weeping, anger, questioning kind of season. It is, it is the expression publicly or outwardly of an internal struggle. That's what's happening in Psalm 13. I mean, this guy is saying, how long, O oh Lord? He isn't bashful. He's not worried about who hears him or who knows what's going on. He, he is being bold. He is struggling in public. Sometimes life throws something at us that is so painful If we experience enough death, enough disease, enough relationships that are falling apart, a a rebellious child, a family member struggling with addiction, sometimes in life we can experience something that's so difficult that we lose any sense of who's around. We, We stop caring about how we come off. We stop worrying about this public persona and we fall apart in front of everyone. For some of us, that's easier, depending on your personality. For some of us, that's harder. That's why I want you to understand that a second expression of lament is private. So, when I say that lament is the passionate expression of grief and sorrow, please don't hear out loud, public, noisy. That's not necessarily true. Lament can be an internal reality, it can be a heart that is full of questions full of anger, full of grief, full of sorrow, but a mouth that is not moving, that is not sharing. It can be a reason that you're here this morning, but you're disconnected. You're not looking to contact, to be in contact with God, to to change, to grow. It's because you're struggling. Yes, you're not expressing it, but internally you are lamenting. So that in the Old Testament, they used to sit in sackcloth and ashes. They would tear their clothes and and sit in sackcloth and ashes as a public spectacle. Look at me. I am suffering. In our culture, that tends to happen on the inside. In fact, to help you maybe grab onto this even more, consider for a second this feelings wheel that I referenced earlier. And I want to draw your attention to the blue section which deals with sadness. I think it's going to be on the screen behind me. But lament is a word we don't use all the time, so you may not know if you have experience with it, but it really is summed up by these words. I'm going to read them to you. Sad, lonely, vulnerable, despair, guilty, depressed, hurt, embarrassed, disappointed, inferior, empty, remorseful, ashamed, powerless, grief, fragile, victimized, abandoned, isolated. Do any of those resonate with you? Do you know what it is to feel those things? That's what the Bible means by lament. Let let me give you a a story. I, I At a church I previously pastored, we had a lot of medical personnel and and I had one friend there who told me that on the first day, her first day of her residency, the very first patient that she had interaction with was a little girl. And the little girl came in because she had been uh, dealing with an illness and they were trying to figure out what caused it. And my friend realized, she's the one who realized that the girl's mother, who was a high school chemistry teacher, had been poisoning her. Little by little, bit by bit, this little girl had no idea that the reason why she was sick is because her own mother was trying to slowly murder her. And I asked my friend, what did you do? And she said, well, I did all the things you're supposed to do. I, I called child services. I, I called the police. They, they came in and took the mom away. She said, but then I just kind of stood there. She says I was in the hallway, and I, didn't, I couldn't move. And, and I began to cry, and my, 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 I was making fists with my hands. And I started to think that I didn't want to be a doctor anymore. First patient. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a doctor. And she said an older doctor came up and took her by the shoulder and led her to the very back of the hallway where a stairwell was in the the back. It was the kind of stairwell that you wouldn't use unless you knew it was there. You'd have to have a knowledge of the building. He, He took her back there and he took her out to the stairwell and he said to her, this is where we come to cry. This is the crying stairwell. And and I don't know how to say it better than to say lament is what happens in the crying stairwell. Whatever that is for your home, your marriage, your family, your career. Lament is what we feel in the crying stairwell of our lives. Second, I want to talk about what causes it. What causes lament? I, I want to warn you that this is going to be tough, but, but we have to press in here. You might be thinking, well, what makes it so tough? It's obvious what causes lament. And you're right, there are two causes. The first one is obvious. It's grief, it's sorrow, it's pain. What, what causes lament is when we experience the difficult circumstances of life. It's, one, it's when someone close to us gets sick. It's when someone dies. It's when a relationship falls apart. It's when we struggle with a child. It's when we lose our job, when we can't pay our bills. It's any number of things that cause us pain. The the, the first cause of lament is easy. When we experience a difficult season of life, we experience grief, we experience sorrow, we experience all the words that we just read from the feelings wheel, we begin to lament. And I want you to know that that cause is universal. You don't need to be a person of faith to go through difficulty, obviously. You don't need to be a Christian to, to struggle through the death of a family member or a friend, to, to wrestle with a relationship that is falling apart, to have a rebellious child, to lose your job, grief, sorrow, lament. They're not uh, uh, exclusive to Christians. The first cause of lament is universal. But there is a second cause. And the second cause of lament is theology. That's the things we believe. See, biblical lament isn't just based in the circumstances that we experience, which are not unique. Human suffering is a universal reality, but what makes biblical lament different, what makes in some ways the Christian's lament deeper and more difficult is the things we believe about God. Consider, for example, that we believe God is good, that God is powerful, that God is wise, that God is loving, and yet in times of suffering, that begs the question, if God is good, why is this happening to me? If if God is powerful, why isn't he doing something? If God is wise, doesn't he see what's happening? If God is loving, how can he have forgotten me? How can he be so apathetic? Why isn't he doing something? You see, if you're thinking correctly, if you're thinking at all, good theology makes lament even harder. Look, isn't that what the writer is saying? Look with me at Psalm 13, first couple of verses. Hear it in what he's saying. How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Do you see what he's saying? It's his belief that there is a God, that there is a God who knows what's happening, that, who there, that there is a God who could do something that is driving his struggle, driving his questions. Listen to verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. This is David writing, by the way. David, who knows there's a God in part because that God chose him to be king, because that God had him slay Goliath. Because that God promised him a future. And David is saying, God, don't you understand? A, that I'm struggling. And B, that the reality of you, my understanding of you, makes my suffering even worse. Where are you? Have you ever prayed that? Well, I can tell by the heaviness in the room that you have. You see... Good theology makes lament even worse. I could show you this in two ways. One is a little silly. One's a little more serious. When I was in college, I went through a period of time where within like three months, I locked my keys in my car like eight times. And, you know, whatever. I'm forgetful. I'm absent-minded. That's true of me. If you know me, you know that's true. But the one particular time was like my third date with Amy. Amy. And I had planned a picnic, okay? It was very romantic. I had really planned it out. It was as romantic as you can be. I, we probably ate ramen noodles or something when I was in college, but, but it was a picnic. Anything you eat on a blanket at the park just tastes better, right? So, so I planned this big picnic, and it was about halfway through the picnic that I realized I didn't have my car keys. And Amy was going to realize she was dating an idiot. So I began to pray, not, not on the outside, but on the inside. And I've never prayed so hard in my life. God, you made the universe. <laughs> Maker of heaven and earth, right? You split the Red Sea. You made the lame walk, the blind sea. You raised the dead. It is small. It is a small thing, oh God. <laughs> right? I'm walking to the car. God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Zach, please, please have the door be unlocked. And when I get to the car and I pulled on the handle, both Amy and I both were probably saying, how long, oh God, will you forget us? Right? So we had to call AAA. <laughs> right? But that, that just proves the point, right? Is, is God, if you're out there, God, if you care, God, if you're powerful, God, if you're able, God, if you're loving, God, if you're wise, couldn't you just unlock my car? Of course, that's a small thing. And I should learn responsibility. But I'll tell you another time, I was at a coffee shop meeting another doctor. Her name was Karen. She was not a Christian. We were meeting because she had a lot of questions. She's a wonderful person, inquisitive, curious, very kind. I loved meeting her to talk about Jesus. And she was very polite. So usually when she would come in, she would sit down and she would ask about Amy and the kids. And we would do small talk until she would get to what were really deep questions. Talk about praying. On the way there, I would just pray, God, please, please, we're both going to look like an idiot if I don't have an answer to her questions. But one day she came busting in the door of the coffee shop in scrubs straight from the hospital, sat down and looked at me and said, I just watched a six-year-old die of leukemia. How can you believe in a good God in a world where that happens? You see, she was lamenting, and she was rightfully connecting it to the theology I was articulating. Now, before I come back to that, let me just say this. The question of a six-year-old dying of leukemia is hard for everyone. Doesn't matter what world do you come from. Doesn't matter what faith you have. I asked Karen in that moment, well, Karen, what do you believe? Which in seminary they teach you is a great stall tactic. And she said, well, I believe we came from nothing and we're going to nothing and that life is about finding meaning and purpose, but ultimately this whole universe will fade away. And I said to her, is that what you told the parents? hey, your child is basically a random collection of molecules here today, gone tomorrow, really isn't worth getting upset about, just have another one. And she gasped and said, no way. And I said, yeah, I don't like that answer either. That's a tough question. But what Karen is tapping into is if you are really serious about thinking about God, if you are really serious about a relationship with God, about believing that God is wise and good and loving and just, then you are going to experience lament. And it is going to be doubly bad. And you are going to find yourself saying, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? And that leads me to my third point, which is to say, well, then what do we do with lament? What do we do with it then? I think Psalm 13 is giving us three answers. I want to end by just walking you through them. Here's the first one. Lament should not surprise us. That's first. Lament shouldn't sneak up on us. I want you to understand something, that even the inclusion of this psalm in the Old Testament is a loving reminder from God that you may be anointed king today, you may slay Goliath tomorrow, but eventually you are headed into a season of grief and sorrow and suffering and lamenting. I want you to understand, please, we are, all of us, pre-lament in this room. Every one of us is going to die. Some of us, after those we love, die. Our relationships are going to fracture. Our children are going to disappoint or be disappointed. In us, our careers are going to fizzle. Our bank accounts are going to dry up. We will all suffer in this room. And that's not healing, I know. But in some ways, the reason why lament rocks us is because it sneaks up on us. But the God of the Bible loves us enough to say, hold on, it shouldn't. I'm telling you, in this world, you will suffer. If I pastor here long enough, I will do some of your funerals. I will do the funeral of the person you love. We will sit together and cry together in funeral homes, emergency rooms, living rooms. It is inevitable. If I'm here long enough, you will be at my funeral. You'll cry with my wife and my children. We are all pre-lament. There was a song when I was in high school that was popular that had a line that went like this. It's always stuck with me. The singer says, I am invincible. I am invincible as long as I'm alive. What a great way of capturing how bulletproof we all feel. But we are not. And while our culture would pull us to entertainment or distraction, to pretend as though suffering isn't happening right now for many of you in the room, to look away from those who suffer, to turn our heads, to just move on, the Bible tells us, no, 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 slow down, stop, consider. Today may be a day of victory, but tomorrow will be a day of lament. Be ready for it. Here's the second thing we do with lament. We take it to God. We take it to God. Listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian and when you think of the Bible, you think of it as this kind of propaganda piece holding up a religion or maybe even a God who's so insecure, he has to give a book about how wonderful he is. I get that, I really do. Except for if that's what the Bible was, you wouldn't put Psalm 13, one and two in it. It begs the question, why would God write a book in which these lines exist? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? No, the Bible's not propaganda. God is saying to us, I know you will feel this way. And when you do, come to me. Come to me. This is so important because so many of us grew up being told, whether explicitly or implicitly, that we were never to express negative emotions. That if you got angry or sad or or, or, or if you were grieving or hurting, you could expect a smack. Or to be told, be a man. Rub some dirt on it. Don't be a drama queen. But friends, I want you to know that the God of the Bible will never say those things to you. The whole reason Psalm 13 is in the Bible, listen, read it. Nothing good happens in it. David doesn't say, but then God answered me and my enemy was hit by a lightning bolt. There's no resolution. The point isn't the resume of God. Not in this one. In this one, the point is that God's love for you is big enough for your negative emotions. I'm going to say that again. God's love for you is big enough for your negative emotions. Listen, God is a better father than your father. So, what do we do with lament? What do we do with anger? What do we do with questions? What do we do with accusations? What do we do with frustration? What do we do with struggle? We take it to God. God, it's Zach. I'm so mad at you. I don't know if you're paying attention. I don't know if you care. You know, I was told you were good. I was told you were wise. I was told you were loving. I was told that you're powerful. And it doesn't feel like that. And I know some of us say you can't say that stuff to God, but I'm telling you that the reason why you're so stuck in your spiritual growth is because you can and you have to. God's love for you is big enough for your negative emotions. Here's the third thing you do with lament. You preach what you know to what you don't know. You preach what you know to what you don't know. That's what David does, look at how the Psalm ends. He's talked about his struggle, he's angry, he's frustrated, he's hurting, he's grieving, he's accusing, he's questioning, and then this is what he says, verse five and six, but I have trusted, In your steadfast love, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, listen to this tense, because he has dealt bountifully with me. In fact, if you write in your Bible, you should underline he has. And if you're using one of these Bibles, underline it for the next person. Because what David is saying is, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. I don't even know who you are right now, but I know who you've been. I don't know how you feel about me right now, but I know how you felt about me in the past. He's using what he does know to preach to what he doesn't know. Friends, that's exactly what we have in Jesus. When I sit with you in the funeral home or the emergency room or the living room, when you sit with me in mine, we won't have answers for each other. Why is God doing this? Why is God letting this happen? There are no answers to that. And anyone who tries to answer that, you should run from them. All we will be able to do is to say, well, let's go back to what we know. And what is it that we know? We know God's wise and loving and powerful and good because he's proven that in Jesus who lived sinlessly in our place and died sacrificially up under the anger and wrath and judgment of God as part of their mutually agreed upon plan to rescue us from our sin and his judgment. He's raised Jesus, ascended him into heaven, seated him at the right hand, and made him our gateway into the kingdom. Friends, I don't know what God is doing in your suffering, but I know who he is. I know what he has done, and that's what I need you to preach to me, and that's what you need me to preach to you. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 8. It's going to be on the screen behind me. He says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all you know what Paul's saying? I don't know what God's doing, but I know what he has done. God says, run to me, run to me, and I'll remind you of how much I love you and who I have been and will be always to you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for Psalm 13, 13. Thank you that your love for us is big enough for our negative emotions. I think about Isaiah in the book of Isaiah. He gets one glimpse of you and says, Woe is me, I'm 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 an unclean man with unclean lips. I come from a people who are unclean. And yet, you and your holiness say to us in Psalm 13, When you're mad at me, when when you're struggling, when you're suffering, when you're questioning, come to me. Holy Spirit, would you drive us to the Father even when we don't believe we can go? Would you remind us of what we have in Jesus? In his name we pray, amen.